Good morning. Did anyone enjoy breakfast in bed this morning? If you did, why don't you just like stand up and yell out your husband's name? Why don't you just be, why don't we, why don't we do that? That'd be, that might be. <laughs> uh, happy Mother's Day. Originally I was planning a nice way of saying that and then it all went wrong. This message is dedicated, actually, to anyone and to everyone who kind of feels like life didn't go the way it was supposed to go. I think, I think a lot of people feel like, well, if I'm smart, if I'm wise, if I'm faithful unto the Lord in my parenting, in my relationships, in my job, then life is supposed to go a certain way. And we've heard stories of crushing disappointments, but but if I'm smart and I'm wise and I'm faithful to God, I think I'll be spared most of those crushing disappointments. And then, inevitably, it all goes wrong. The kid that we live for becomes distant. The relationship that we cherish turns sour. The job that we gave our very best to experiences failure. We find ourselves in a hot mess. And we say things like, when the world happened, and it wasn't supposed to go this way, and what am I supposed to do with this? You know, there is a funny thing that happens when the bottom falls out of your life, when expectations in life are unmet. A funny thing happens. Those unmet expectations have a clarifying effect on your life. It shows you what you really believe. It reveals what you really treasure. Like you experience criticism at work, and instead of being poised and rooted, you are crushed by it. You can't sleep at night. And you start to wonder, what does this reveal about what I really treasure in life? Maybe you've been there. Your kid is sick. And in this process of grief, your heart is turning inwardly bitter towards God. There's a part of you that says, God, I follow you, and this is how you reward me. And your disappointment is sort of revealing to you, well, hold it. You know, honestly, what do I really believe about God? What do I really, really believe? Your disappointments have a clarifying effect. And when that's happening, you know, where do you go from there? And how do you carry on? And because the disappointments are inevitable and they're revealing things about ourselves. What do we do? I am heavily indebted to Lyndon Duncan for this message on Elijah Today is Mother's Day. I think Elijah has a message for moms in the room. We just finished a series on human sexuality. We talked about things like lust and porn. I think Elijah has a message for those who are struggling. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And what you see in this chapter, you're going to find a story that you love. I mean, this is the story where you want to be, you know. 
If you got a ministry, you want your ministry to go chapter 18. If you're a parent, you want your parenting to go chapter 18. If you're working, this is how you want your projects to go. Chapter 18, fire literally comes down from heaven. Maybe you know the story. The impossible is made possible. The undeniable and the unmistakable is that you are being touched and approved by God in your work and in your ministry and in your parenting. It's a famous story. I remember being in Sunday school. I remember loving this story. Yeah, we're not going to focus on that story. We're actually going to focus on the story that comes after this one. So if you've turned to chapter 18, turn the page one more time. We're going to the next story. It's the story that wasn't really told to me when I was growing up, in Sunday school at least. Now, listen... Chapter 19. How did we go from chapter 18 to chapter 19? Like, how did we wind up here? Now, I've read this story so many times. you got to believe me. And it's still a mystery in the context of this story, like what happened. There, there was really no easy explanation for how we got in chapter 19. And so if you will turn with me in your Bible, let's start reading from chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. How he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, that's Elijah, he was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there at his head a cake baked on hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel, Mehola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And this is the word of the Lord. Now, you, you need to understand something, that Elijah is a unique person. Like in human history, in the Old Testament, Elijah had a ministry of power. There was no one in the Old Testament like Elijah since the time of Moses. Not the magnitude of the power of his ministry. you got to understand that. Now, I mean, Elijah had just called down fire from heaven, right? And a famine that was ravaging the land was ended with a prayer, with, with several prayers, and a deluge of rain, okay? That's Elijah and his ministry. Okay, now Queen Jezebel, who, who's still in power, uh, she sends a message to Elijah, you know, may the gods deal with me ever be so severely if by this time tomorrow you are not dead. Okay, now, this is what I don't really get and what I haven't gotten for a very long time. Now, what Elijah does next, you know, you're just, you're just not expecting this. I mean, you expect Elijah to say something like, you think I'm afraid a fire just came down from heaven and, and licked up, you know. Did you think I'm afraid? If God is for me, who can possibly stand against me? You know, you expect Elijah, like, I have three words for you. Bring it. Uh, that's what you're expecting Elijah to say. He doesn't say that. Elijah runs. Elijah's, af he's afraid. And why is he afraid? What's going on here? You ever wonder about that? Now, uh, this is hard to explain. Some Bible commentators, they, they, uh, they're looking for some kind of psychological explanation, some kind of mental illness. Um, some even say that he's manic depressive, you know. One moment high, the other moment very low. Now, I, this is possible, I suppose. But I, I actually think, I think there's a better explanation. Now, now, understand this about Elijah. Elijah was a man 
of deep, deep, unwavering, undying passion. I mean, his calling was not a job to Elijah. His calling was his heart, his soul, his everything. You've got to understand that about Elijah. And what you see in chapter 19 is a thoroughly, utterly discouraged man. That's what you see in chapter 19. A man who had beautiful hopes, and those hopes were dashed. A, a man with a beautiful dream, and that beautiful dream was crushed. Now you see this in verses 10 and 14. He, he's longing for an encounter with God on Mark Carmel that would bring about nationwide revival where, where the, the balls are overthrown and the living God is worshipped and Ahab and his regime are punished and replaced and thousands and thousands are returning to the Lord. Elijah has a beautiful dream. I mean, everything inside Elijah wanted God to be glorified. I don't know if, if that's true or if most of us can say that, that everything inside us just wants God to be glorified. But that was true of Eli Elijah. Everything cried out for the one true God to be known and worshipped and adored. But, but right after this face-off in Mount Carmel, where this brilliant supernatural mountaintop experience happened, Queen Jezebel makes this threat and Elijah realizes something, which is Ahab and Jezebel are still in office. The head of the snake has not been removed. Baal worship is still in the land and the nationwide renewal was not as nationwide as he had hoped. And so Elijah, who was expecting something bigger and better, Elijah, who is discouraged, he runs, and he runs for his life. But you know, disappointments and unmet expectations, you know, they, they have a way of clarifying things in your life. They have a way of showing what you really treasure. And soon God reveals to Elijah what he really treasured. After 40 days and nights of running, Elijah makes his way to another mountain. And here you see in the way that God deals with Elijah what it is that Elijah really wanted. And so you have a great and powerful wind that, you know, tears into the mountain and shatters rocks. But the Lord is not in the wind. And there's this mighty earthquake and a devouring fire, but the Lord is not in those things. And then you have a gentle. Now, it's revealing, right? Now, what is it that Elijah really treasured? What is being revealed? What did Elijah want more than anything? Elijah treasured and wanted that which was spectacular. That's Elijah. He wanted a spectacular declaration of God's lordship. He wanted a spectacular ending of Baal worship. He wanted a spectacular end to the reign of Ahab and Jezebel. It's a picture of what he wanted. Go big or go home. Go big or I just want to die. Elijah wanted something big. He wanted something spectacular. He waited all his life. And he wanted it now. It's like, I've waited long enough. 
You know, in this past season of time, we've been talking about human sexuality. And then on one Sunday, we talked about lust and porn. I don't know if you remember that. But I, I wonder if there are people here who feel trapped in sexual bondage. And there is a part of you that just wonders, why doesn't God, by the power of his resurrection and by the snap of his fingers, just go boom and make all the addiction and all the power of that addiction just go away? Like, why not? Why not? Um, Steve Gallagher, who wrote the book on sexual idolatry, says that he can count on one hand the number of people who he has met who have been delivered from lust and porn and masturbation instantaneously. He can count on one hand in all his years of ministry. He says, for most of us, freedom comes slowly for a reason. And I wonder if people, some are here like, why so slow? I, I think of the mom who with everything inside her, everything inside her heart, just wants what's best for her child. And that's not a bad dream. I mean, that's, that's, that's a precious dream. And so she agonizes, and she prays, and she hopes, and she's doing everything in her power to fight for what is best for her child. And she wants, she's waiting on God. God, would you do something? God, I've been praying and waiting, and the years, and, and then it seems like, I don't think God is doing anything. Why is God not doing something? And it, and it hurts. There's pain. God, why aren't you doing something? God comes to Elijah, and, 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 and he says, Elijah, there's three things that I want you to do. I don't know if you noticed that. There are three things that I want you to do. In essence, God, when he speaks to Elijah, he says, you know, Elijah, I do have a plan, you know. And, and you can still be part of that plan. There's three things that I want you to do. N number one, I want you to go and anoint this king. Yes, he lives in a different country. Yes, he's a pagan. But go and anoint this pagan king. And number two, I want you to anoint this person in Israel who will be king and he's going to put an end to Ahab and Jezebel. He's going to just execute them. And then number three, I want you to anoint, that's right, your successor. The person who's going to replace you. I want you to anoint Elisha. Okay, so it's, it's a plan of three. But in other words, Elijah, it's not the earthquake or the hurricane that you wanted. It's not the spectacular demonstration of divine power that you've always been wanting. Change is going to come through a gentle whisper. It's going to take more time. Actually, it's not even going to come through you. It's a gentle whisper in contrast to the spectacular that you've been always wanting. Elijah it's not going to go the way that you want it to go. You guys, this is how God deals with his people. 
And in one sense, we're like, why, why is he doing this to Elijah? God is rooting out the idolatry in Elijah's heart. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. what idolatry? I mean, Elijah wanted God to be worshipped. Yes, but he wanted God to be worshipped his way. He wanted it to be done his way, and it, it, it wasn't God's way. Now, God does not do this to Elijah because he's mean. He does this to Elijah because he's kind. He's wanting to wean Elijah from the affections of his idolatry. He is crushing idolatry inside Elijah to give Elijah a greater joy. And it's kind of like God was saying to Elijah, I know you want it a certain way. But will you let go of that and surrender to my way? And I just imagine there's like an epic battle of wills here. And, and I imagine Elijah, Elijah saying, but you know, all of my life, I've been waiting for this. And this would honestly bring you glory. I mean, fire and earthquake and hurricane, the spectacular. Everyone would know. It would be unmistakable. And think of the stories that people will tell. You imagine Elijah going, God, I've served you all my life. You owe me at least this. Now, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? It's like, clearly this is better. Why won't you just do this thing? And just imagine God saying to us, my ways are not your ways. Will you surrender to my will? Will you believe that my plan is better than your plan? Will you trust that I see all the angles? And will you trust and follow even when it doesn't make sense? Lincoln Duncan tells the story of his friend with a son diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And, he, and as you can imagine, his friend really struggled with this. But finally, at the end of his struggle, he just surrendered to God. And so he's explaining to his son what it means to have cerebral palsy. And his son said to him, Dad, am I going to die? His son was nine years old. And the father said, son, you're not going to live as long as other boys. I, I, I love you. And I can't do anything about that. And God loves you, and he has an amazing plan for your life. He said, the Savior Jesus lived only 30 years, and he did more than anyone ever did in 30 years of life. You guys, what are we supposed to do when the crushing disappointments come? A mother's heart knows those crushing disappointments. Where else do we learn from than from at the foot of Jesus? Jesus in the garden was sweating drops of blood, and the cross was right before him. And he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, the cup of wrath, the cup of existential hell. If you are willing, but then he said, what I imagine this ultimate surrender, he said, but not my will be done, but yours in heaven. And he surrendered 
his life to the plan of God, which was to die on a cross. And because he died on that cross, it meant life and hope and forgiveness and new life for the entire world. And so, for Elijah, it's like God was asking Elijah, I know you wanted a certain way, but will you surrender to me and to my will? Now, you need to know this. Elijah does not end well. I don't know if you knew that. Elijah does not end well. God gave him three things to do. You guys, I, he didn't do two of them. I mean, keep on turning the pages. You're like, okay, anoint Hazael and anoint. He never did them. We have no record of him obeying what God said to do. You're like, yeah, but what about that part about Elisha? Oh, it said anoint Elijah as your successor, right? You don't see that language when he's dealing with Elisha. It's almost like he's recruiting him to be his assistant, you know? Will you pal around with me and do what I tell you to do, but I'm not really saying that you're my successor. God gave him three things to do. That was the plan. He barely did one. And so... Elijah just kind of gets put on the shelf. I, I, this is effectively the end of Elijah's ministry. Like, Elijah does not end well. I, I don't know if, I mean, it's crazy, right? This great man of fire. He doesn't end well. And you go, you know, I, I'm reading this and I'm like, like man, like, this is harsh. Isn't there a part of you that goes, God, you know, with respect, God, you're harsh. Is that true? Is God harsh? I, I, I'll be, I, don't, I don't think so, actually. I, I think if you take a closer look at the text... I don't think God is being harsh. I actually think if you take a closer look to the text, you will see the unfailing, unrelenting, unmistakable, unconditional love of God coaxing, prodding, pleading, and redeeming. Okay, remember that when Elijah ran away, he ran away, right? Ran away, ran away, ran away. What did God do? He sends an angel to make him breakfast. You know, he sent an angel to make him like hotcakes. That's what God was doing for, for Elijah. And then when Elijah runs to a cave, what does God do there? In this scene, when, when Elijah's in the cave, God has given him the opportunity that every prophet longs for, which is to behold the glory of God. Now, 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 Elijah's being invited to come out of the, the cave to behold the glory of, I mean, this is an incredible privilege. How many people do you know in human history have been given this invitation? Elijah was given this invitation, but what did he do? Um, this, this is interesting. Recently, I was in the car. I was giving a devotion to my son. My son didn't want to hear the devotion. And so what he did, because he had a baby blanket, is he took the baby blanket. I'm not kidding you. He wrapped it around his head. 
and then he stuck it in between his brother and the seat. And basically, Ryan, did I read to reveal the name yet? It was Ryan. Okay, so basically he was saying, look, my body is here, but I don't have to give you my heart or my ears. Now, when he did that, I'm like, oh, that's what Elijah was doing, right? God's like, come out. He wraps it around his head. My body may be here, but my heart is not with you. My heart is not with you. Okay. God gives him three things to do. Elijah barely does one. Please don't think that God is harsh. Because, in a sense, it's just not true. There's more to the story. Towards the end of Elijah's life, do you remember how Elijah ended his time on earth? He went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Now, do you remember what Elijah liked? He liked the hurricanes, he liked the earthquakes, and he liked the fire. Now, you imagine God saying to his angels, Now, I want you to take him home, and I want you to take him home in a blaze of glory because I know what he likes. I know what he likes. And he went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Are you kidding me? He went in a blaze of glory. Now, do you think that God doesn't know the desire of Elijah's heart? Do you think that God doesn't know the desire of your heart? It's like God saying, Elijah, I know you. I know what you like. And I'm going to honor him with what he likes. So he's saying to his angels, in effect, you take him and you take him in a blaze of glory. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. But you know, you know, uh, it gets even better. This is not the last time you see Elijah. You see him one more time in the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 9. Now I imagine in this scene, God must have said to Elijah, you know, Elijah, I want you to go back down. I want you to go to another mountain. I have something I want you to see. Go back down. It's another mountain. There's something I have prepared for you to see. Just, I want you to see. Do you know what Elijah saw on that mountain? You see, all his life, he wanted spiritual renewal for northern Israel. He wanted spiritual renewal for northern Israel. But God had a better plan. Elijah didn't know then, but God had a better plan. And now, right before him, face to face on the mountain, Elijah was staring into the face of the one who would bring spiritual renewal, not just for northern Israel, but for the entire world. I wonder if Elijah at that moment was like, wow, God, your plan was much better. Elijah wanted to be the one who would save his people through a spectacular demonstration. 
Now he's standing before the one who would save God's people through the crushing sacrifice on the cross to forgive and to renew the world and to make all things new. You call that a gentle whisper that became a worldwide shout. This is the last time we see Elijah in the Bible and he is standing face to face before Jesus Christ. What do you think he was thinking at that moment. Maybe he said, God, I just didn't know. I should have trusted you. I should have done those three things. I'm sorry. Your plan was far greater. I didn't know that your kindness was bigger than my bitterness. I didn't know that when you were saying no, it's so that you could say a much bigger, a much greater yes, I didn't know that you were doing surgery on my heart so I would love nothing more than you. I didn't know that I would trust you. If I did, then I would trust you even when it didn't make sense. I just didn't know. Do you think God cares about his servants? Do you think he leaves you out there to die on the field? Don't you know he knows your heart? He knows what you want. He is for you. Don't think that God doesn't care about your dreams that have been crushed. So what's the point? What are you trying to say through Elijah? Church, don't lose heart. If your dreams are unfulfilled, don't lose heart. Will you keep on trusting, keep on believing, and keep on loving? Will you turn away from loving anything more than the Lord? Will you trust him and surrender? Will you believe, even when it doesn't make any sense, that his plan is always better? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus in the garden. He showed it. He showed us what it looked like to struggle. And he showed us what it looked like to finally surrender and say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And Father, I just wonder if you're putting a finger on something in our hearts something that we're struggling with, something that we're holding on to. Maybe there are people here who's like, no, I want it this way. And maybe we're struggling with control in a way. And I just pray that on Mother's Day, it's so fitting if everyone, including moms, would just raise their hands and say, Lord, I surrender to you. It doesn't make sense, but I surrender to you. I'm not in control. You are. Would you be glorified in this situation? Would you turn this terrible situation and bring it for good? Because that's what you do, and I trust you. We do trust you now, Father. Do your work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name.